Let's pray, family. Dear Jesus, thank you for uh, the opportunity to be able to um, open up your, your word. Thank you for providing us with insight on how to um, appropriate the reality of the resurrection, the cross, Lord, and how to worship you, how to uh, be truly human. Lord, thank you for, uh, for your truth, and we just pray that you, by your grace, allow us to be informed and excited and changed by you, Jesus. Uh, we just ask that you would graciously allow us not to get in the way of what you want to do in our hearts um, and that you would truly um, be exalted. Uh, speak through me. Uh, pray that we would be encouraged by what you uh, declare, uh, evidence of your grace in the scriptures, be encouraged by your truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What's up, family? Hey, I'm um, trying something new. As you guys can see, I'm going to try, I'm trying notes today. Oh, why are you clapping? <laughs> about time, you just crazy up there. I don't know what you're talking about. So, okay, yeah. So, um, uh, just been, in, yeah. I, I, I'll share with you guys later. But um, I had an opportunity to uh, go uh, do a conference and feel kind of constrained by notes, but also wanted to see what the Lord would do uh, with notes to be more clear. I want to figure out how to continue to add value to you as your as your, as one of your leaders. So that's the point behind it. Um, if you uh, a couple of little ground rules that we have in MacAb is first. Um, uh, if you have, need a Bible, you can raise your hand, and Leon and Ken are passing out Bibles right now, so go ahead and raise that up real quick. And then um, also, I just want you to know that you are free to ask questions. We as a community um, really desire for people to, to grow in understanding, and that it wouldn't just lead to being smarter, but you would be uh, better worshipers of Christ. And we even see that when we're asking questions, being in dialogue, it really helps other people in the body uh, to inform their understanding of Jesus accurately. So uh, we really celebrate that. Just want to encourage you toward that end. We just ask that it honors the Lord um, and that it can edify the church. And if it's something specific, just come see me. We'd love to um, process with you. So just give you that insight. Um, <clears throat> hey, so what we've been doing, uh, we've had a little, a little break. We uh, spent time... Um, uh, Basically, during the Christmas season, then we had a couple of uh, times where we talked about putting on, putting off in Colossians 3. Then we had our vision time, and now we're back in Colossians. Um, so what we're going to do is I'm going to give a, a brief recap uh, real quick. I thought our crew did a great job at really helping us understand uh, what, what Paul was talking about in the whole concept of putting off and then putting on. Um, if you look in Colossians 3, that's kind of the main text um, between verses um, 1 uh, through 17. And during those times when you're reading that text, and even today, I want you to, um, to, to try hard uh, to not be thinking about what that other person needs, okay? Uh, when you, <laughs> right, that's how we do texts that, that are, are imperatives. You know, God tells us to do something, and we think, man, I wish he was here for to hear this, or I wish she was here. I want, what I want us to do uh, is to think about you first, okay? Uh, don't think about your husband. Don't think about your wife. Uh, think about you, all right? What, what Paul is doing is um, uh, he hones his focus in chapter 3, guys. And uh, to be really simple, um, uh, when he's talking about the reality of Christ, and so he just really keeps it simple. Uh, he gives us uh, a reality that, that those of us who give our lives to Jesus, uh, Jesus kind of saves us. He gives us the gospel. He, by his grace, saves us. And then what happens is... Um, uh, he begins to break us free uh, from sort of the spiritual chains in our life. Uh, he gives us an inheritance. Uh, and, and we basically stop becoming, um, we stop being someone, and, and, and we start becoming someone else. 
Uh, that both happens, like, automatically when we become a Christian. But then God begins to, like, allow that to work itself out where it becomes an actual external reality. Uh, that's the whole process of sanctification. Uh, so this chapter, guys, in chapter 3, is saying that people who have experienced that spirituality, that change, uh, will, will be a people who actually, ex- who actually reveal and show that reality in this realm, in the realm that we see. Here's the point. God's people look and act a certain way. God's people, we, we, we look different than the world at some level. That's a hard truth for us to deal with. Um, the reality of changed life should affect the way you live. If God, God is, and that's what makes Colossians 3 hard because it's so plain. And so we can try to, you know, we look at our sin patterns, we look at the stuff in our life, and we can kind of go, well, I, I, I get it. It's, it's, it seems clear, but what about grace? And we can kind of try to, like, massage it where it doesn't sting. But the reality is, all throughout scriptures, you can't get away from the fact that a changed life should affect the way you live. If you say you're a proclaimer of Christ, then at some level, you should be moving toward Christ-likeness. And if you're not, that's very dangerous. And we're in a day where we've got to be very careful. We're in a day where, as an evangelical, it's almost, we can, we've, we've coined it as judgmental to say, to even say that. To question someone's desire and reality for Jesus is judgmental. But Paul and Jesus makes it kind of the bedrock of their sermons. A changed life should affect the way you live. So what Paul is doing, Paul is focusing in on specifically how we treat each other, which is seemingly here the fruit of our connection with Jesus. Okay, so so Paul is saying that the way you actually treat each other uh, will show me at some level if you really have given your life to Christ. That's another hard truth. But I'm proposing that seems to be uh, extremely clear in the scriptures. So what Jesus is doing through Paul is he's continually teaching us to break sort of this man-made dichotomy of religiosity and regular life. Right? He's saying that by constantly placing standards, he's doing this in Colossians 3 that we're going to see, by constantly placing standards on even our ordinary life, on what you just do when you're hanging out. That's what Paul is doing right now. He's going to place standards on that aspect of your life that he's making a statement that it is actually the closest and most familiar relationships, those daily interactions, those daily livings, that the reality of your heart is really revealed. That's where actually it really shows if, you, if you're really a Christian, right? So the reality is uh, Christ uh, is the good news, but, but that good news affects someone's life. Let me continue on, guys. What I want to do is I want to give us a brief background to, uh, before we get into the text here. Um, because uh, in order for us to be faithful to the author's intent, uh, I want to talk about some, some things that are not abnormal in antiquity, but can kind of seem like, why is he saying that here? Uh, the first uh, we want to look at is uh, an understanding of, of the household. Uh, when we look at the text, uh, what, he's, what, what happens here a lot of times uh, in the text, he's, you know, we see this whole concept of what he's talking about with marriage. Uh, we're going to see him talking about kids. We're going to see him talking about even slaves and servants, okay? Um, but, but I want you to understand that this is, uh, this is very normal in antiquity. This is not just a Christian thing. Is that uh, throughout antiquity, throughout the first century, uh, they many times, unbelievers, talked about how do you manage your household? 
Okay, and so what Paul is doing, which I love, he does this all throughout uh, the New Testament, is he's taking something that's very normal uh, in, in, in Jewish writings, and he's placing it uh, in a Christian framework uh, so that people can, can make that cultural connection. He's contextualizing spiritual truths, okay? So, so, so basically understand that, that, that the household here was normal was for you to have sort of standards. Here's what we're going to do. Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to show you how those standards are somewhat different than what they thought of in the world. But truly, um, you're going to see sort of like the, uh, the comparisons and the similarities as well. Also in a household that's different than us uh, is um, the family unit, is that... Uh, we think, I know for me, family unit is kind of like, well, my, my wife, my kids, and I kind of kind of stop there. And I know I have an extended family. Uh, maybe I'll place them in there. But again, in the first century, the household was anyone that was under your care. Okay? So that meant uh, if you had people working for you, if you had people staying with you who weren't even relatives, uh, if you had people who weren't relatives but became proselytes, people who became Christians or who, who were under uh, the, the rubric of being a Hebrew, right? They wanted to follow Yahweh, but they was under your care. That was seen as part of your family, which is kind of different for us. So I wanted to make sure that, um, uh, that I was able to, to show you that there's a couple things that we're going to see that's kind of different, but that's kind of also the same um, as we go through the text. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So, so the family unit was a, a long-established social unit, okay, way before uh, the New Testament church was implemented uh, because of Jesus' uh, death and resurrection. Um, and although the people of God are continuous uh, from the covenant, uh, are, they, are continuous from the covenant people from the Old Testament, uh, they are set apart uh, from God to the church, and they're continuous people. Uh, but the principles, those principles of new creation um, uh, are new, and what God is trying to show us is that we're putting those, those principles of new creation in a practice in a culture that had different distinctives. Now, let me explain that. So basically, for example, you have in Jesus coming down on the cross and rising from the dead, you now have women who are not seen in second place, okay? Uh, you, are, you, you now have slaves who are not seen in second place. Uh, the scriptures say, you know, not slave, servant, you know, a Scythian, uh, barbarian, slave or free, they're all one in Christ, Okay, so that means that practically that you can be in a church, okay, and your slave could be a leader over you. Your slave could be an elder because he could be more spiritual than you, right? He could be walking with the Lord, seeking Christ, and you not. And then the elders say, we actually want him to lead. And so, what, and so and the point behind that is that they had to understand that that could be a reality, but you still had a culture that you were having gospel centrality in. So, so does that mean now because the slave is your elder or over you that now you go to the house and you're like, no, I'm, I'm running things now. Give me the checkbook. No, that didn't happen, right? So, so you had to have this balance where within the local body, you had to make sure that you were understanding what Christ was saying about people and what Christ was saying about Imago Dei, the image of God. And then you had to also go home and remember that you're also in culture. And so that, again, a little more background to why it was important uh, to understand even that piece because you would go home and the, and the slave had to understand you still, need, you still need to work hard, you still need to serve, you still need to submit because he's still your master, even though you're more, you're more spiritual. Uh, so that's, again, just trying to uh, shake the cobwebs and help us understand like some of the thinking that they had to struggle with as first century people um, when, when Jesus was making these mandates through Paul. Okay? All right, so here's what we're going to do now. We're going to look at verse 18. Uh, it says, we start the text with that reality. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord 
Husband, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Um, I want to talk about, before we get into what we need to be about here, what Paul is trying to say to us, let's talk about our current state. I propose to you that the biblical role of marriage uh, has, has been disfigured. Um, let's deal with some stats real quick. Uh, first and foremost, I would propose that we have become uh, a cynics of marriage in our, in our culture. Uh, about half of marriages from the 70s are in divorce. Basically, our parents, about half of those marriages um, are now in divorce. And our generation, uh, that was our parents, our generations, we've, we've upped the ante a little bit where we're saying probably six out of ten of almost seven um, are going to end in divorce. Okay? So six or seven out of ten people uh, in, our, in our environment, our, our generation is going to end in divorce. This is just, this is just real. This is empirical. This is not me. Okay? Now... But what's interesting here is you have 9 out of 10 Americans see marriage as their highest goal. Okay, so do you see how the synonym is, uh, is brewed, right? You have the reality uh, being that this stuff, it isn't working out. People are cashing out. But yet, people have a desire and they want to be married. All right? This is not Christian. This is just people in America want to have someone say, I want to be committed to you. But people see the reality that that's not happening um, and, and the end result is we want a great marriage, but at the same time, we think it can't happen. So, so what you have is less than 60% of adults marry in the United States. You see that? So now, now do the math. Okay, if 90% of people want to be married, but only 60% of people are actually getting married, what is that saying about our culture? I'm proposing it's saying we're, we're abandoning marriage. Right? And we know that, right? Because we have how much, all the cohabitation. That's just a norm in our culture today, Right? Uh, it's a norm to say, I'm not going to, I'm going to kind of be committed to you, but I'm not going to really seal the deal. Okay. And so we, ca- and the reason why is because of the cynicism. Yes, sis. We don't even stay married. Yeah. So you got the 60% and then out of the 60% of people that get married in our, in our, in our generation, almost 70% of them will probably end in divorce. So, so, the, so this, is what, this is what we're up against as a covenant community, okay? So what this does, I bring this up not to go, oh, man, night, okay, lights out. Everybody next prayer, who, who wants to pray? Like, the point is, it's for us to understand our culture. This is, this is where, where we're living. This is where you're living as people who want to walk with the Lord, okay? So what happens is we become cynics, okay? We, we say, man, so why am I going to go here if this is going to be the turnout? If this is going to be the end goal? And we see it because people are abandoning marriage. Now, there's another extreme. That's the cynic, okay? So usually we're either a cynic or we're, or we're an idolater of marriage, right? And, and what we're trying to be as believers is we're trying to have a healthy balance. So now what is it like to have the marriage idol, right? You see people talk like this. I mean, I, especially I see, um, it's funny. I, I think men are just as much, we idolize uh, having a relationship just as much as women. I think women get more airtime because of the, emotion, the emotional piece, you guys are kind of like, say it more. We kind of harbor it inside, but have great, great identity in the fact of having someone that we can call our other. Uh, so we talk about the sense of my soulmate, you know, if I can only have that man of my dreams, you know, um, that one, you know, that, that crazy that movie when you, you complete me, all this craziness, you know, like, and we have this, this sense of like, without you, I'm kind of half a person. Right, which in itself just speaks to your, your warped understanding of, of Imago Dei, of the image of God and what he's done in you. And so um, we, 
we find ourselves looking for our soulmate. Um, and in doing this, what we're finding is that we have the idolatry of acceptance, the idolatry of affection. Um, and you know what I call that? Worship. Uh, if my husband was like this or looked like that, or if we had sex like this, I would be happy. Right? This is, this is what we start telling ourselves. Um, and so we do this wanting to get married, and then we get into marriage, and we start fantasizing of what we want the person to be versus who they are. And we kind of still find ourselves worshiping this ideal of marriage. Right? Uh, I, I propose it's, it's big in our community, this whole concept of identity, um, worshiping affection of men. Uh, that's why I, I really believe a lot of our women stay with knuckleheads, right? Because we worship the idea. And so we're willing to, we're willing to settle for a chump just to say, well, at least I got somebody. And so we watch, we watch the women in our community um, just selling for nothing and not, and not really trusting God for his best. And, and just a short note, it's not in here. I just pray that the women of Macab wouldn't do that. I pray you wouldn't settle for just some live body, somebody who's there with you, but he, he treats you like crap, and he's not, he's not honoring you and lifting you up and washing you in the word, why would you settle for less than what Christ has for you? Why would you settle? I pray, Macab women, you wouldn't settle because you're worth more than that. Um, I would propose, guys, both uh, lose sight of the gospel. Here's why. See, first, with the... Um, the concept of cynicism, if, if Jesus is our affection and, and, and focus, uh, oh, all right, let's start with idolatry. If Jesus is our affection and he's our focus, then what we, what we won't do, and we have to struggle with this, we won't make um, uh, good things um, ultimate things as a believer, right? That's the concept there. If it, you, you know that you're idolizing something when something's good, because marriage is good, but when it becomes the ultimate thing, you've just crossed over to idol worship. Okay, so, so, so that's, that's where we, we get over on the part where I'm saying, I think it's just, you, you missed the gospel because now it's God and not Jesus. Now, cynicism, it loses sight of the gospel because it stops at the critique. Okay, you know what I'm saying there? See, cynic, see, see you're a cynic. I propose you're a prophet um, if, you, if you take the cynicism all the way through um, and make it gospel-centered. You're a cynic when you just see something foul and then you complain. See, that's not godly. That's cynicism, and I, and I would propose that's not godly. See, cynicism stops at the critique, at the brokenness. See, you're a hater, but you don't get redemption. A cynic doesn't get redemption. Uh, you don't get the cross. See, even cynicism is supposed to point to Jesus. Why? Um, you are a cynic at something when you think something is to be more than uh, what it is. You hear that? You're a cynic when you see something, you go, it shouldn't be like that. There has to be something more. That's gospel. Because there is something more. There's new creation. So you're thinking right, but you stop at the critique. You see that? And so the Christian, we're not, we're not supposed to go, oh, man, look how foul that is. Look how bad that is. We don't stop at the critique. A cynic with gospel hope doesn't run from marriage, but gets married to model a new narrative. Do you see that? You don't go, wow, that's messed up. I'll never do that. You go, wow, that's messed up. Let me tell a gospel story there. Do you see the difference? So uh, we tell a new narrative. To tell a gospel story and and not to tell a broken one is um, to balance the scale, if you will, is a desire as, as a believer when we enter into cynicism, if anything, but specifically in marriage. 
So I want to propose there is hope uh, for a joyous life, uh, but it's not in idolizing, it's not in being a cynic, uh, but it's found in a redemptive response to a broken world. And I think that's what's happening here in the text, and that's what Paul wants us to deal with um, as we look at um, as we look at this, these scriptures here. Thanks for taking me along. Keep following me. Thank you, bro. Um, so let's start with the passage. So what he does, Paul gives us a clear instruction, and he starts with wives. He says, submit to your husbands, right? As fitting to the Lord. Uh, now, a lie in the world, and we've talked about this a lot because we're complementary in our understanding here at MacAvon Community Church. And, um, and, and sadly, because of our, our model as men, of our insecurities, uh, we, we, can show, we can show women as lesser value, which is totally unbiblical, okay? Uh, the Bible teaches uh, there's not even a biblical idea that women are less than valuable, okay? The Bible teaches that we were both created with value, purpose, and worth, that we were both created in the image of God. So, um, so what is this issue of submission? What does this even mean? Uh, the, the word submission means to permit oneself to be subject to something, Okay? Uh, so it's like to purposely yield power. I love that because I think that takes way more maturity uh, to, to know that you have the power to do something and then to choose to not do it for the greater cause, which I would propose the greater cause being the kingdom and glory of the father. That that's awesome. All right. That that. And guess what? By the way, who modeled that? That's what Christ does. Okay, so the biblical submission is it's an issue of role distinction. It's never an issue of value. So women, hear me again. Macav, the Bible teaches that women are just as valuable, but that there is a role because there is a goal that Jesus is trying to accomplish. Okay, there's something bigger than you and me. And Jesus modeled that. He said, you know what? I could let everybody know how God I am and how big I am. But I don't need to do that because we got a bigger goal. We're trying to bring glory to the Father. And in order to do that, I need to submit myself. And in the same way, he asked women to do the same thing for the sake of the glory of the Father. So role relationship is never about equality. Um, It's always about creation. By creation, we are fully equal, but we have different roles. In the same way, that's the Trinity. And I always talk about this. We retell the story of the Trinity when we as men and women are working out our roles biblically. Okay, because just as the Trinity has different roles, right? The Father creates, Christ redeems. Okay? And you don't see them trying to, you know, I want to redeem. None of that, right? They they do what they got to do for the sake of the greater good. In the same way, we say, okay, what's your role? What's my role? And then we have mutual deference. Again, always try to show how the Father then shows deference to the Son when he gives the kingdom back to the Son in Corinthians 15. And so you see this clear in Scripture. Um. As we continue on, just trying to get some, some verbiage, get our words right before we go into what, what does it mean. So first and foremost, that's what submission is about. We're cool? Okay. Now, he uses this word as it's fitting to the Lord. Okay. What does that mean? I think the best way you can find out what that means is simply by looking at Ephesians 5, when he uses the same verb, same, same uh, discussion. He says, as to the Lord. He's, he's basically saying uh, that wives submit to men um, as to the Lord, as if you were submitting to Jesus. Okay, now let me let me explain why that phrase is important. So it, what, what that phrase shows is that you respect your leader. You respect him as as the leader that God has put in your life. Uh, what's happening is Jesus is your ultimate Lord. Okay, and so you are primarily submitting to Jesus. See, the reality is, is if you're married and you want to be married, is that you're not just necessarily submitting to some dude, but you're submitting to Jesus. That's the whole focal point here. As to the Lord. And so you're primarily, primarily submitting to Christ. 
And your practical demonstration of that submission to your king is by submitting to the one whom your king has entrusted to be the one uh, who primarily points you to Jesus. Okay, so the way you show that you're submitted to Jesus, women, is when you say, I'm going to show you clearly that I'm submitted to you, Christ, because I'm going to submit to the man you put into my life who's supposed to point me to you. So it's really a a Christological issue. Submission is really a gospel issue that you get to worship Christ through biblical submission. Right. You worship Christ by by submitting to your husband. You provide an accurate picture of the gospel by submitting. By giving deference, Um, you get to accomplish the goal of the father. So. So your submission should not fluctuate. Then if that's the case, if we're on the same page, then your submission should not fluctuate based on if he makes 10 grand or 100 grand. Right? If he's making a lot of money, he makes $100,000, it doesn't matter because it's not about that, right? Women should not submit based on performance. Your submission should be motivated by Jesus. It should be a Jesus-centered mentality. Now, now, wives submitting has its counterpart, and I'm going to labor here a little bit, uh, with husbands' obligations to love their wife. Okay? So, you're to submit. Any questions on that? So, I'll make sure that we understand. This is what the Lord is saying. Here's what it's going to look like for us to really honor the Father. And then he says, hey, here's what it looks like. If you're doing that, the, the counterpart is a husband's obligations to love his wife. All right? So, let's look at verse 19. You see that? It says, husband, love your wives. And do not be harsh with them. I mean, I mean, I even look at that and I just see men like, oh man, right? I mean, it's just, that's conviction in itself, right? Do not be harsh. I, I can just pray right now. I mean, that's, that's so convicting. Um, let's talk through that though. We ain't going to pray. We're going to talk about this. All right. So, so what does it mean to love your wife? Um, what is interesting uh, is the codes of antiquity. I was talking about how, uh, how you would see these term, this kind of terminology uh, in the first century in just different writings where people didn't even love Jesus. But what was interesting is that uh, the different word here is that they would have uh, uh, take care of your household. Uh, they would have some framework, husbands, uh, and the whole focus was like be, be the breadwinner. Or, or make sure you man, or make sure you man your house. It would be kind of that verbiage, but but in antiquity they wouldn't say love your wives. That is a solely Christian implementation there. I wanted to make that point. That that Paul saw it so. I mean, you think of the literary genius there, that he takes out something that we actually I think can fall prey to. Well, no, if I'm providing, if I'm you know bring home the bacon, then I'm, I'm loving my wife. And actually, I want to propose to you, uh, unbelievers, a thousand years ago thought that. And what Paul says, hold on, let's let's, let's flip the script. Here's here's what you need to do. Husbands, don't just take care of your wives. Love your wives. Right? Um, They have basically in the the text there, manage. Husbands manage the household. Uh, So I want to propose it shows a drastic difference um, that is more than simply bringing home the bacon. If if you've had those thoughts, you know how we get. We can kind of think like that. We kind of think, I've been working all hard all week, you know, bringing home money for you. So now I can get the weekend to be about me. You know, we we sick like that. 
right? But, but, but I, my, my prayer is for us right now to sort of take that stinking thinking and, and hopefully God do something in our hearts that we leave here wanting to love our wives better. And if you're not, if you're not married yet, don't go, well, I'll wait until I get married to listen to this. I want to propose to you that you men and women need to be hearing what, what, what we're talking about here so that you don't fall prey if you're a lady to some dude who don't want to honor you. And if you are a man, that you will be a man and not a boy. So, so here's what it is not solely, all right? It's not working all week and providing. Um, uh, it's not simply attraction, right? I want her sexually, so I, I, mean, I am loving her, man. I want to have sex with her. I mean, man, she likes that. Um, you know, what happens when she, you know, gets older, when it's just a sexual thing? You know, at some point there has to be some depth, right? Uh, I'm blown away. Can I just pause? I'm blown away by the double standard, too. I'm, me and my wife, we have, we have, a, we have a friend... And we watch him, and you know, I always get in trouble with stuff I say, but I watch him, um, for years, we watch him trying to, like, do you date people, and his standards were insane. I mean, he just wanted them to be, like, these rock star models. And the thing that blew me away was me and Sarah was like, but he's not really cute. (laughs) So we didn't get it. And I'm blown, can I keep it real? And I'm blown away. I, I see it all the time. Men want beautiful models and then we look like trolls. And I'm just like, I don't, I, so I thought that was weird, but, yeah, right? So I, I guess I'm saying we got to give grace, man. We got to look in the mirror and go like, you know what I'm saying? Why am I tripping when I look like this? You know, look at my ears and stuff. Like I can't, you know what I'm saying? Like, come on. So, um, uh, those things now, you know, sex, you know, sexual attraction, working all week, those things are not meaningless. You know I don't believe that. Um, it's just not the meaning here in the text. Now, the reason why I want to make that clear, look at what the text is saying. Look at your Bibles. In this text, it's not talking about feeling or attraction, right? We know that because uh, this is describing a sincere, active, unceasing care for her well-being. Well, where do you get that, Eric? Well, look at what he's saying. He says, we know this by the prohibition of the opposite attitude and treatment. You see that? We can know this because we can say, well, what does it mean to love your wife? Well, he gives us the opposite, do not be harsh. So from there, we can understand where he's going. And it seems if you're talking about not being harsh, you're talking about unceasing care, active love. You're talking about sincere, sincerity, compassion, correct? So how are we to love? Uh, You can find it clearly and write the address down in Ephesians 5. We won't be able to go there for a second time. Um, and but what, the, what, the, what the New Testament says in Ephesians 5 is we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Right? Now, uh, so when the New Testament repeatedly talks about the headship of man, uh, what this means is that he is to uh, be loving and gracious and humble and sacrificially lead his family. Uh, so the whole goal uh, is for the husband to be like Jesus to his wife. Uh, so that, you, so, but, but now I begin to ask myself, like, why? Why is that? So that the wife can trust him. See, we in our in our in our love for our wives are retelling the gospel story. Think about it. So uh, we we're to love our wives, be Jesus to our wives. What happens when we're that? She trusts us. She's safe with us, and now she builds intimacy around us in our Christ likeness, right? Because he goes, this man is safe. Have you heard that before? Have you seen that before? Who, who did that first? Christ. See, if you have, and, and I think we all can be prayed to this, if you have the boss mentality, which can be the danger of us as men, is we can view our, our wives um, and we can see ourselves not as a servant, but we can see our wife as something that we own. 
That's my wife versus someone you serve. Uh, and if the theme, now you go, well, no, I don't think I own my wife. But let me ask you, if the theme is um, I do uh, what I want to do, I want to get what I want to get. Um, and if you're thinking ever becomes she's mine, I want to propose that's an abusive relationship. If the discussion in your relationship is more about what you want than what she wants, I want to propose that's an abusive relationship. That's not Jesus. That's not Jesus' love. That's not the gospel he has called you to live under as a lady. Um, I, I have, for example, I was going to, I have, you know, someone really close to me um, uh, be raped in marriage. And, and I was blown away to think and, and, and see the reality that, do you know I'm a, per, a woman is twice as likely to be raped in her marriage than by a stranger? Twice as likely. And then, I, and then you think about that reality, and that's just rape. We're not talking about just the, uh, the, the emotional abuse uh, and just the, the physical abuse. And all the times where it went unreported. Because you think, about, you think about an evangelical woman who wants to walk with the Lord. Think about how much stuff she takes in the name of Jesus, probably. Thinking, well, I need to be having deference. So I guess, you know, First Corinthians says, it's, not, it's his body now. I guess I'll... Who knows what the stats will be? See, with Christians, I, I, I fear, and I want to make sure, and, I, and I, I must say to our body, what I love about our body, I think we have very good male leadership. Um, I think you guys are, are awesome brothers. Uh, but I also want to make sure we don't fall prey uh, to this reality of, of, of mentally or emotionally abusing our wives by putting ourselves first in any way because it doesn't model the, the gospel. If you are, if you're struggling right now as a lady, um, and you're, and someone's even taking you to that level, I want to pray that you talk to uh, your staff team here. You talk to guys who you know are going to be future elders. You call the police. You don't deserve that. So how do we love, man? The question is, how do we love? That's what love is not. How do we love? It's not abusive. It's not manipulative. I want to propose first, uh, gospel men lead. We lead in love. And hear me here, because, man, you want to, man, something that really gets me frustrated is when I watch our women date men who are boys, and they kind of and they and they, they just rip their hearts apart because they don't lead. Um, what does it mean to be a leader? To be a leader means you give your heart first. You give your trust first. You give your money first. You share your fears first. You begin to pray first. You give grace first. You give forgiveness first. You show love first. You protect her heart first versus asking her to protect your heart. You lead in every aspect of the relationship. I'm blown away and I watch, we just sit here and men are okay with asking a girl to take the first step in all these different areas, even in marriage. I'm okay, I get it, we all, I have to repent, I'm the first one, I, I talk about this from failure. But one thing I praise God for is I get my, my outages. And I'm blown away at men who think it's okay to not be the one who's modeling grace first. It's okay to always look and see what she's not doing. It's okay to have a relationship and not love her enough to be committed. Don't settle, ladies. 
Repent. You would be the one who do all these things first. You share first and risk. And I love it because, again, what Jesus is asking us to do, man, is to be like Christ. He did it first. Right? He died first. He went up there and was mutilated and was, and was persecuted for us. He showed it. He, he put, he drew the line in the sand and then said, follow me. He didn't ask us to give ourselves first. And he's asking us to do the same thing. It's no different. Guys, as you, as you read the Bible, as we talk about what does it mean to live a life of Christ, I just love that everything centers around the gospel. And all God is asking us to do in all these different myriads of life is to retell his story. And we get to retell it right there as you, how you love your wife by leading her first. Your wife should be telling you you need to get in the Bible. Are you kidding me? Your wife shouldn't be helping you lead a prayer life. Guys, your wife shouldn't be leading you in serving. This is not about guilt. This is about conviction. I want you men to build conviction that you are the leaders. In every area, share your deficit. Repent and ask the Lord to give you the grace to lead. How dare you? If you're sitting here right now and you're taken from that woman, sex, if you're taken from that woman, intimacy, and you haven't shown your commitment to her, if you're taken from her, resources that you haven't been willing to give three, four times over first, I pray that God is convicting your heart to change so that you may be an appropriate expression of the gospel. You are distorting the gospel by your sin. We as men long for our wives to wholly give give themselves to us. We long for that. We long for our wives to be free. And I want to tell you, they will when we provide the blueprint. Gospel men love graciously. Not according to performance. Right, guys? Is your love conditioned by performance? Do you give your love when when your wife performs well, when someone performs well in your life, specifically your wife here? Christ's love is gracious. It's in spite of us, not because of what we do. Where does, where, does that, where does that distorted love show up in your life? Where does it show up, that distorted love of what you do, what you do with your wife? Is it in um, her attraction, where you give to her when she looks a certain way? Her mothering skill? She mothers your kids well, so therefore you give to her? How well she loves you? So because she's loving you so well, now you love her? That's not leading, Right? Do you, do, you, um, do you guilt her? Do you, have, like, uh, do you guilt her when she's asking healthy questions about your leadership? Hmm? She's asking you, why you ain't leading? And she's trying to be gospel-centered about it, and you play her like she's unsubmissive, where she's just really begging for a biblical man? And you place it on your insecurities and try to play her like she's tripping? That's performance-based, guys. It's not gospel-centered. Um, do you wait until you're pleased and then you pursue? That's not the gospel. That's not what we're called to be about as men. We don't wait until we get ours to give to our wives. You don't wait. We offer that. Here's the the kicker. Even if there's no response, even if she responds ungodly, 
If you're disappointed, are you just distant? Brothers, that's the love of a boy, not a man. Um, Our love should always be grace-based, not performance-based. Gospel men love to honor. Uh, Do you praise your wife? Do you affirm your wife? Do you talk about her in a nice way? Do you esteem her to other people? These aren't, these aren't um, exhaustive. These are just a few things uh, that seem very paramount to when I see women, I see the wings grow. Do you, do you let your wife know that you just think she is the best thing ever? Some of you guys are going, man, well, of course I, I love my wife. Of course I think the world of her. Um, let me tell you something. Unless you express it, it's not praise. I don't care what you think in your heart. Does she know it? Are you constantly affirming her? I want to, well, I don't, that's not how I am. Well, get sanctified, okay? Because what God does, here's, here's the thing. So that might, you know, there's some areas in my life, right? There's some areas in my life that are, are harder than probably areas in your life. This is an area that comes a little more natural to me. Here's the reality, though. What I love about the Holy Spirit is he actually changes your personality, like when you fall in love with Jesus, he takes, he actually changes how your, your makeup, he actually, he takes that stuff that's kind of like naturally evil in your life and he wants to make that good. And so I want to propose to you, if your disposition, I'm just quiet, I don't tell people what I think about them. I'm telling you that's, that doesn't affirm, that doesn't help your wife be who she is. And so for the sake of the gospel, not you and your comfortableness, I want to ask you to learn how to affirm your wife because it blesses her. Right, ladies? All right, I'm trying to help you all out. Y'all better say something. (laughs) Finally, gospel men love wisely. Uh, Do you love your wife according to knowledge? Do you know your wife? Do you ask questions of your wife? Are you still, like, living on the same answer she gave you eight years ago? And she's unchanged? Are you, are you asking your wife what she likes, what serves her, what hobbies she want to have? Or are you still thinking she wants that same hobby that she had before kids? Ask her. Get to know your wife. Do you know her? Do you spend time knowing you're a bride? I'm going to put my boy on blast. I think, I think Leon does this well, um, your pastor. I, he, uh, we always make fun of him at staff team because I feel like he's always like, you know, he actually, I get mad at him because, like, you know, it'd be like one of those like Valentine's Day or something. He's like, "All right, guys, what are we gonna do for our girls?" I'm like, "Oh man." <laughs> and and he's like calling Sarah, you know, Sarah. So, what do you think, Rebecca? Like, you know, and he's just, he's like passionately pursuing how to understand Rebecca and how to care for her. It's a cool demonstration, man, of the gospel of how he wants, he wants to intimately know his bride. And so um, ask yourself, like, do you love your wife according to knowledge? If your relationship is uh, about you taking and not giving, that's abusive, guys. If you hear anything, hear that now. If your relationship is more about what you're getting and not what you're giving, you've missed it as a leader, man, because that's counter-gospel. That's not what Jesus modeled. Just as the Trinity, our relationship should model mutual giving and receiving. I want to propose to you, um, that's what Jesus does. And I love that uh, because if you want to have that relationship, you want to have that beautiful relationship with your wife, but yet you haven't experienced that 
that, that, uh, that submission, you haven't experienced uh, the Christ figure, Christ God dying for you, living for you, giving it up first for you. I don't know how you're going to even share that with someone else. It first starts with understanding, believing, and receiving the gospel yourself, the gospel of grace, experiencing the grace of what Christ has done for you. And you might go, that's why I struggle with this, because I've never received that grace. I've never experienced that. Uh, the, the, the Savior and Lord, the creator of the universe, gave himself for me. He led. He loved me. He died for me. He rose for me. And then he comes and continues to, to woo me and ask me to be his son or daughter. As I'm turning away and trying to live my sin patterns. And he's still grabbing toward me. Wow. See, it makes sense. If you've experienced that, you're going, yeah, I have experienced that. I've experienced my great Savior wooing me when I had nothing to do with him. Being faithful when I was faithless. And now you go, okay, why did God give me that picture? Not only so that I can experience that in my life, but so I can retell that story. I can retell that story to the world. That this is what it looks like. This is what Jesus did. See, when people say, oh, you got a great marriage, you shouldn't go, oh, I'm, I'm so cool. You should go, oh, I'm encouraged you said that. But you know what we're just trying to do? We're trying to model the story of Christ. Let me tell you what Jesus, see, that's a gospel opportunity. A good marriage is just an opportunity to share the gospel. Well, actually, it's not about me. You know what Christ did? Let me tell you about our Savior. He actually died and was murdered. So I'm just trying to learn how to die for my wife daily. I get it wrong, but Jesus doesn't. And I want to ask you, if you haven't experienced that right now, you're still living and you're trying to, you're trying to provide some, some, uh, some horizontal reconciliation, some horizontal love, but you've never really experienced that vertical love with your Savior, I want to ask you to respond to the gospel first. Okay? Say, Jesus, I am crazy for thinking I was my own God, and I want to experience and have life with you. I want to walk with you, Jesus. I pray that you will come into my life. Be my savior and just save me from myself, from sin, from evil. Work in my life, Jesus. And the Lord says in the scriptures, he says, he will come in. He will never forsake you. He will make you his son and daughter by faith. And then what he'll do is he'll protect you and lead you on to the day of redemption. The gospel's good news. And then while he's doing all that in your life, he starts to make it an external reality. And then he starts to allow you to retell that story. That's why MacAb exists. That's why people exist born again. I pray you will be born again too. And for those of you who are, I'm asking you, men, you're doing great. I think we have great male leadership. Let's continue to lead well. Okay? Talk about those doing your Mac group. Talk about those at coffee shop. Process that. Talk about those things with your wives. Talk about them with your girlfriends. If you're single, talk about them with each other. That we might be a clear expression of the gospel. Hey, we're going to have a time of uh, tithe and offering. Uh, so I want to ask you to prepare your hearts as we continue to worship the Lord. And then um, what we're going to do is we're going to do tithe and offering and communion. If you're new here, here's how it goes. First and foremost, with the tithe and offering, we ask you to keep your purses and your wallets to your side. We just love that you're here, and hopefully you're hearing the gospel, and hopefully you'll respond to the good news of Christ. Uh, we don't need your money. That's not our desire. Tithing offering for MacAv, and hopefully the Covenant Community uh, Universal is a time of worship. We worship God because he's given us everything. So Mac Avers get that.